listening to Reframed, the Power Perspective podcast, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. As both a Christian communicator and counselor, I want to equip you with the tools and truths that renew your mind and empower your soul. So as we explore popular topics influencing our perspectives, I want to offer practical techniques for reframing unhealthy thinking patterns and provide step-by-step pathways for emotional and spiritual health. This process of untangling our thoughts is not always easy, but thankfully God's Word gives us instruction on how to reframe our thoughts, renew our minds, and redeem our perspectives in light of the gospel. It is this framework we will use to dispute discouragement, eliminate emotional reasoning, and empower our pursuit of the abundant life. So are you ready? Let's explore our current perspectives, expose the distortions we have come to believe, and grow deeper in our understanding of God's transforming power. Hello and welcome back. Um, Today we are going to be jumping into the topic of God's promises and evaluating our perspectives. In many ways, I believe that this particular topic has challenged our image of God and distorted the way we perceive our relationship with the Lord. I know for myself, um, there have been many seasons and still are that when my heart is disoriented, when things in my life are not going in the way I believe God has promised them to go, then I become fresher with God, right? Or I start doubting my direction and purpose like we talked about last week. And so today I hope that we can evaluate our perspectives in this and then realign what we have been believing to truth because God has such beautiful promises for us. And oftentimes it's the distorted views of our own perspective that have clouded um, what he has for us in himself. So I want to start off today with asking a question. So have you ever felt like God has broken his promises to you? I know I have. And I think we come to this reckoning of how do we trust a God that does not keep his promises, right? When the reality of our circumstances is saying he isn't. And I know in my life, so many times my struggle in certain seasons has been directly connected to this distorted perspective of God and the promises he has for me. You know, I have learned about God's promises, uh, but yet without even realizing it, I somehow replaced God's truth with my faulty perspective. And consequently, my expectations held a lack of substance when my reality seemed to reflect the absence of God's presence rather than his promises. You know, as believers, I think many of us do see scripture and believe that God promises comfort, yet we mourn. God promises peace, yet we still worry. God promises hope, yet we still at times feel hopeless. God promises love, yet we still experience hurt and loss. So what have we missed? How have our perspectives gone wrong? And I think ultimately this question challenges us to evaluate our feelings and our faith. So before we go to scripture to unpack this idea of God's promises and identify where our faith and feelings come into play, I want to give some important tools for us to evaluate our thinking patterns. So first, we have to understand that our brains are wired for worry. You know, in many ways, our brains will fill in the blank. And we all do this from time to time, right? Uh, Guess what people are thinking, or we 
will come up with a storyline of why something won't work out before it even happens, etc. Right? These are called cognitive distortions. They are coming up with the scenarios that must be true because we don't actually know what's true. So our brain is trying to fill in the blank. But what we know about many of these thinking patterns is that they can negatively impact our perspective of God's character and therefore orient our emotions in very powerful ways. So here are just two common examples of how feeling-driven perspectives can impact our view of God's promises. First, we have all-or-nothing thinking. You've probably heard about this before, but oftentimes it's called black-and-white thinking. And it basically just categorizes things in two extremes. Bad, good. Happy, sad. Yes, no. In doing so, though, our perspectives leave little room for any alternative thought. So it becomes very challenging to reframe something, right, or to shift our perspective of something when it's one or the other. It's black or white. When we apply this filter of our thinking to our view of God, placing all of our spiritual experiences in life in one of two categories, we can develop an unhealthy view of God. With this limited frame, we begin to place a condition, if then, on our faith. If God answers my prayers in the way I ask, then he is faithful. If God relieves my distress, then he is loving. In creating this distorted equation, we set ourselves up for discouragement, right? Because when we experience loss, we may find ourselves questioning God's goodness. When we experience trial after trial, we can become bitter with God and his perceived lack of protection in our lives. I think we also do this when we read certain scripture verses because we become frustrated when we don't experience what we perceive the message of the text to be. I think a really good and well-known example of this is Psalm 37. Um, As a single, I used to read this in college and think this is how I'm going to get married someday. I just have to delight myself in the Lord and he will give me the desires of my heart, verse 4. But this verse seems so straightforward, right? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But this is not what the passage is actually saying, right? In many ways, in many passages like this, there are such deeper theological principles, yet we read them with face value and with an unrealistic and frankly unbiblical perspective, which devastatingly impacts our view of God. This particular passage actually is talking about delighting ourselves in God and he, circle that he, gives us the desires of our heart. As we delight in God over everything in our lives, he changes the desires of our heart. And so these types of theological underpinnings can be distorted in so many ways and we lose sight of what God is actually telling us. Another way that we can see these cognitive distortions impacting our view of God and his promises is through emotional reasoning. In addition to all or nothing thinking patterns, we can easily fall prey to distortions of emotional reasoning, which interpret situations by our feelings. So this is where when we are looking at a kind of a pendulum of feelings and faith, feelings are up at top and faith is on the bottom, right? We're, we're leading with feelings rather than faith. And this becomes very imbalanced, right? So here's how emotional reasoning works. Whatever distress we experience, say we feel anxious or distracted or discouraged, we take that feeling and it suddenly, it filters all of our experiences and thus our perspective. 
When we allow our feelings to dictate our perspective of God's faithfulness, his fatherly affection, his goodness, and his grace, we certainly experience dysregulation in our faith. God cares about our feelings, but as any loving father would, he cares more about the state of our souls than instant satisfaction. So I think we would easily agree that good parents in many ways withhold things from their children, either to protect them, redirect them, provide something better for them, whatever it may be. Yet why is it so difficult for us in times to believe that God is doing the same thing for us when he closes doors or redirects our steps? We read in Matthew 7 where Jesus says, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Emotionally speaking, I love this passage, yet my reality rarely reflects what I perceive to be good things according to the scripture. As I again and again go before God praying for specific good things in my life to be given, my emotions challenge me to doubt God's goodness when I feel he has not given to me the good things I desire or I've asked from him. Here is where my faith and my feelings collide. My feelings say God is not keeping his promises as evidenced by my current challenges or the lack of fill in the blank. As we can see, and we've all probably experienced, these default thinking patterns tend to feed off each other, and consequently, our faith becomes fragile as our feelings predict a distorted view of God's character. So the question becomes this, how do we balance our physical realities with the truth of God's sovereignty? And what is it that God actually promises us anyway? I think we can find these truths as we look back to God's word we begin to reframe our shattered views and build a firm foundation for a faith that regulates feelings while boldly believing in God's unchanging nature. So first, I think it's important that we deconstruct the abstract concept of God's promises. Here is the simple reality. We are promised Christ, nothing more and nothing less. All of God's promises throughout scripture point to the sufficiency and the supremacy of the triune God. In 2 Corinthians 1 verses 20 through 22, it says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, and that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and he has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his Holy Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. In 1 John 2.25, it says that the promise that we have as believers is this, eternal life. The harsh reality of this deconstruction is that we cannot place our hopes and dreams in anything other than Christ himself. For God does not promise us the fulfillment of dreams or desires. God does not promise us the comfort of this culture But he does promise us himself. He promises us his son, his spirit. And he also promises that he is with us and that he is in us and that he goes before us. And so with this new frame, our previous perspectives suddenly come crashing down with the simplicity of God's promise to each one of us found within himself. And you know, for me personally, this had to really be worked out in my life. There was times where I would sit, even with my own therapist, and say, oh my goodness, 
I don't believe Jesus is enough in this season. And the, the reality of these moments were points of reference that I will always look back to where my faith and my heart, my head knowledge and my heart knowledge had to coincide because so often we can believe in God's promise that he is with us. But then when we experience an emotion or we experience a change or challenge, we can negate the fact that God is with us. He didn't ever leave. He's still in that emotion with us. And something that I read recently that really challenged my heart was that God's love for us is not weak and it sustains itself through pain and challenge. And in a lot of ways, just like a father holds their child when they're hurting and when they're lonely and when they're sad and when they're distressed, so does God wrap us in his arms and hold us close in times of trial. And these moments are precious, you know, and, and we look at this familial concept and analogy of God as Father, and we realize that these are the moments where He shows us how much He loves us and how much He cares for us. And it's our distorted perspective oftentimes that shifts this view of God's goodness and His grace in times where we don't believe His promise is there. Maybe we can't see it. Maybe the fog is too thick, but He is with us in it. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So I want to offer three practical steps that we can take in reframing our faith and pressing into this truth of God's promise that he is with us and he is in us and he goes before us. The first step in this process would be facing our feelings. I know this sounds counterproductive and for those of you that maybe don't like feeling your feelings, it might be a challenging practice. But something about our emotions and acknowledging our fears and failures, our challenges, our questions helps us identify where we're at. And it also helps us acknowledge maybe the cognitive distortions that we might be experiencing. Something that I think is an incredible question to ask yourself is, what frightens me? I love this question because it is a great indicator of what we are bound to worship in our lives. If we fear failure, we will worship success. If we feel uncertainty, we will worship control. If we fear pain, we will worship comfort. Facing our fears requires us to be honest about what we truly are placing our trust in. I like to tell people in the therapy setting that our emotions are valuable data. 
And I truly believe God has given us our emotions so that we can understand what is right and what is wrong within ourselves. And so in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 9, he gives us a framework when facing our fears. Rather than denying the presence of distress, our desire to create security independently, Peter reminds us to place our anxieties in the hands of God. So what do we do with our feelings after we feel them and face them? We humble ourselves before the Lord so that he in his proper time may exalt us. We cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us and we know that he cares for us. Peter also encourages us afterward to be sober-minded and watchful, to be aware, to be present with ourselves because the devil is our adversary and he prowls around like a lion seeking to destroy us. Peter reminds us to resist him firm in the faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by those throughout the world. In this passage, there are several practical applications when it comes to experiencing our emotions. First, we see that Peter instructs his readers to humble themselves before the Lord. You know, the original Greek definition of the word humble is to dismiss self-reliance and become fully dependent on God. How easy it is to attempt to face any kind of emotion in our lives with our own strength. The result of such efforts often increases our discouragement and prolongs our worry over what we cannot change. As we learn to acknowledge our limitations and need for God's authority in our lives, we are enabled to rest in our dependency and trust in God's sovereignty. And by doing so, we are more open to bringing our anxieties to the Lord and casting our burdens on the one who gives us strength. Finally, Peter exhorts us as believers to be mindful of Satan's tactics. In the context of fear, we can approach worry with the awareness that Satan is seeking to distort and disrupt the security of our eternal safety. Yet as we resist pressing into our faith, we are comforted by the fact that we are not alone. So in addition to maybe facing our feelings, our disorientation, our discouragement, we also need to evaluate our focus. You know, our focus feeds our feelings. Remember how Peter confidently stepped out of the boat in Matthew 14 when he went to meet Jesus on the waves? Yet when his focus shifted to the open seas and the depths beneath him, his feelings followed and he began to sink. Is this not also true of us? I know it is for me. When I am focused on the very things that perpetuate my fear and discomfort, my feelings quickly follow. Because of this, the Apostle Paul reminds us throughout his New Testament letters to place our focus on the things above, Colossians 3, 2, and to renew our minds with the truth of God's promise, Romans 12, 2. In moments when things are downright fearful, when we feel like God is not close, we need to focus on what our faith proclaims. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 provides a framework for this redirection and focus. It states, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings to us closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and is seated at the right hand of God on the throne. If you look back to Hebrews 11, you will read about the many mighty men and women of faith. Their stories are not absent of fearful experiences or distress or challenge or change, but their focus was clear and fixed on the Father whom they had entrusted their lives to. You know, the author of Hebrews encourages the same attitude as we intentionally lay aside the worries and weights and doubts by fixing our focus on the author and perfecter of our faith. Ultimately, our ability to redirect our focus in times of distress and disorientation began with looking to Jesus day after day, moment by moment. It was Jesus who reminded us of the realities of this world in John 16:33 saying, "I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world." How casually I have read this passage without comprehending the promise in Christ's courageous invitation. He does not dismiss the legitimacy of our fears but he acknowledges them and offers peace within his presence in the midst of them. For it is with Jesus we develop an internal strength that is not shaken by this world. The final practice that I want to offer today is assessing the foundation of our faith. So we've acknowledged our feelings, we've shifted our focus, but then we truly have to assess what we are placing our faith in. So what is faith? By definition, faith is simply the assurance of things hoped for and the uncertainty of what we cannot see, Hebrews 12.1. This transfer of trust from our strength to God's sovereignty is the foundation of our faith. As we face our feelings and we fix our focus on the character of Christ, we are enabled to rest in the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. This is something that God does in us that we cannot do apart from him. And this is the essence of faith, transferring our limited vision for God's greater mission. It's a progressive growing stronger in our capacity to praise God in the process of his promise being revealed. This type of faith is not afraid of feelings, nor is it swayed by them. It is a convergence of professed belief and heart confession we are able to hold the complexity of our present place and our future promise, heavenly hope and heavy heartache, daily trouble and constant trust. Faith is not merely false fearlessness, but intentional surrender to God's will. Faith is not merely false fearlessness, but intentional surrender to God's will, despite what we may feel. It is relying on the victory of Christ's cross, rather than our strength. When God called his people to faith as they fled from the Egypt army in Exodus 14, it says that the people feared greatly. In turn, they doubted God's direction, which led them to the shore of the Red Sea. God's response to the Israelites was this, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. You must only be silent. Exodus 14, 14. How often I forget that God does not ever call me to fearlessness without the promise and the power of his presence going before me. 
It is this foundation I place my faith in, trusting that it is God who goes before me and fights for me. In him we hope and we do not lose heart, knowing that this life is preparing us for eternal glory, which cannot be compared. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18 As we conclude today's episode, I want to encourage you that in this season, maybe it's uncertain, maybe it's discouraging, but I pray that we each will continue to seek the source of our strength and wholeheartedly trust in His presence and promise. He is near and He is a sure foundation for our soul. May we anchor ourselves in His nearness and hold tightly to his heavenly hope. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Reframe, the Power of Perspective podcast. If you've enjoyed what we've heard, please subscribe and drop a comment. To access more content and to join my email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymercoyer.com. Reframed, the Power of Perspective is a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed Carly's episode today, we would love it if you left the show a rating and review in your favorite podcast app. It really does help more people like you find the show. This podcast was produced by me, Kelly Givens, and Steven Sanders, with executive oversight by Stephen McGarvey. To find more faith-filled, encouraging podcasts like this one, just head over to lifeaudio.com. In a world where relationships are easily broken and often discarded, the Rebuilding Us Marriage Podcast is your lighthouse, guiding the way to hope, restoration, and transformation in Christ. I'm your host and marriage coach, Dana Shea. Join me as we discuss the necessary tools for rebuilding marriages from adversity, betrayal, and disconnection. It's time to reignite love as we rebuild marriages from the ground up. Listen to the Rebuilding Us Marriage podcast on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.